We talked about God the Father last time, very shortly, unfortunately. Um, and we talked about two main things about God that the Catechism covers. We call them attributes of God, or whatever you want to call it. What were they? Truth and love. And, love. and first of all, I really enjoyed that part of the class last time. I was really learning while we were going through it. And... Um, Remind me, why, is, why do we say God is truth and God is love? What's that? It is a statement, but it's a kind of funny statement that I think in our modern day uh, you know, reaction to possibly some excessive liberalism for the last 40 years, we say God is love. Yeah, whatever. That's a bunch of nonsense, godly goop, whatever language. But here the catechism states it and the scriptures state it. God is love. Why do we say God is love? He wants the good of the other. Okay, to love is to will the good of the other, and the fullness of love, is, as the scriptures tell us, is the gift of what? Self-sacrifice. Yeah, your whole self, your whole life to another. Okay, for the sustaining of the other. Okay? And as the Catechism points out, for all eternity, God has been doing this by giving himself to the Son in the Holy Spirit. And so within the Holy Trinity, there's a life of giving of self, of love. So we can say God is love, because from all eternity, that is the action which has taken place within God. This loving gift of self. And we also say God is truth. Why do we say God is truth? Well, as creator, he is the objective, the standard, the ultimate by which Okay, is. normally when we talk about truth, there's an objective truth based upon reality outside of us, and we and our concepts are said to be true based upon whether they correlate with the thing outside of us. But there's also a subjective truth when you're talking about a creator. Okay, and that's true with man, it's true with God. When man creates, he is the subjective knower who projects the truth upon the thing created. The, cre- the sculptor is the one that knows how the sculpture is supposed to be. Okay, and he has the concept within him by which he examines the thing outside. And so God is truth because from all eternity he knows. And when he knows, first of all, he knows himself and produces a concept of himself from within. And when we produce a concept of a thing, the thing comes to be within us. Are you with me? Okay, the tree comes to be within me. So when God looks upon himself from all eternity, he produces a concept, and that concept is the word. An internal word, which is the pattern of his very own being. And from all eternity, the word comes forth in God as the Son of God. Okay? So we can say God is love and God is truth. We also talked about, well, a little bit. We'll get into it more today. And the Catechism, once they cover God the Father, turns to the works of God. Okay? Open your Catechism to uh, paragraph 257. It turns to the works of God immediately, first of all, because we're following the Creed. And what do we say in the Creed? Say the Creed for me. The Father. Creator. Okay. And so the, the Creed immediately turns to creation. And there's a reason for that. Why do you think the Creed immediately turns to creation? Instead of immediately turning to the... To, it does talk about the Son shortly. It talks about the Holy Spirit shortly. But it's going to deal with those in separate paragraphs. But right at the beginning it talks about Him being Creator. Why do you think? Why is it important as we examine who God is to turn to creation and look at it? That's a big thing. What comes first? All right, Melanie, that's good. 
It's it's a big thing he's done, but what does that have to do with anything? Well, what? It's a reflection on God. Like, yeah. Look, if I create a statue, if I make a statue, there's something in that statue which is in me. In fact, everything in that statue, anything that I've put to it, was pr previously in me. So by looking at creation, we can start to learn about who God is. Okay, by examining his creation, we'll learn who he is. It follows um, uh, that ancient saying that action follows upon being. Okay, action follows upon being. A thing acts or does something based upon what or who it is. So we can look at what a thing does and know what it is. If a thing barks, what is it? It's a dog. Okay, so we look at what God does in his creation and we'll come to understand who he is. Okay? True. Carrie, you want to read for us? Do you have your with you? 257. We're going to read um, 257 through 260, just like last time we started out with a big old quotation. We're going to do the same. O blessed light, O trinity, first unity. God is eternal blessedness, undying life, unfading light. God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God freely wills to communicate the glory of his blessed life. Such is the plan of his loving kindness, conceived by the Father before the foundation of the world in his beloved Son. He destined us in love to be his sons and to be conformed to the image of his Son through the spirit of sonship. This plan is a grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, stemming immediately from Trinitarian love. It unfolds in the work of creation, the whole history of salvation after the fall, and the missions of the Son and the Spirit, which are continued in the mission of the church. Okay, we're going to keep reading, but I, I want you to pay attention. In that paragraph, it's talked about, it's twice mentioned the word plan. The whole paragraph is about God's plan. What is God's plan? What do they say God's plan is? What's that? It's a grace. Speak up. It's a grace. Okay, the plan is a grace. It is. It is a gift. Okay. What else? Okay, he destined us to be his in love. And what does that really mean? Remember, we talked about love... It is the gift of oneself to another. Okay, so when we say he destined us to be his in love, we could say that he gives himself to us and shares his own life with us. But that was yes, his plan from waiting because the, the last sentence uh, at 257, it says conceived by the Father before the foundation of the world. Yeah. That was his intention for us. Even before what? Before. Before what? Well, before every, creation. Before creation. Yeah. Before he created. That, that was what he okay, intended to do from. Okay, you keep those words that Carol's saying in your mind because it's absolutely essential. God doesn't change. And when he creates, we see a reflection of who he is from all eternity. And we've just said that God is love from all eternity. And so when he creates, we're going to see something of who he is from all eternity. There's a reason why his plan is that very thing, this gift of himself. Because it's who God is. And he cannot be other than himself. Okay? Let's keep reading. 258. The whole divine economy is the common work of the three divine persons. For as the Trinity has only one and the same nature, so too does it have only one and the same operation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not three principles of creation, but one principle. However, each divine person performs the common work according to his unique personal property. Thus, the Church confesses, following the New Testament, one God and Father from whom all things are, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things are, and one Holy Spirit in whom all things are. It is above all the divine missions of the Son's incarnation and the gift of the Holy Spirit that show forth the properties of the divine persons. Keep going. 
being a work at once common and personal, the whole divine economy makes known both what is proper to the divine persons and their one divine nature. Hence, the whole Christian life is a communion with each of the divine persons, without in any way separating them. Everyone who glorifies the Father does so through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Everyone who follows Christ does so because the Father draws him and the Spirit moves him. Okay, hence the whole Christian life is a communion with each of the divine persons without in any way separating them. They're talking about the Christian life, but that's not true only about the Christian life. What's it also true about? Read the sentence again. Hence the whole Christian life is a communion with each of the divine persons without in any way separating them. What's that? One, the That's true, and why is that true? Because the um, mystery. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a state of mystery. Why is that true? That where one is, the other must necessarily be. Because they share one nature, they're all God. This is true. However, there's something more right there in that sentence. Hence, the whole Christian life is communion. a communion with each of the divine persons. They're talking about the Christian life, but it's not just true about the Christian life, it's also true about whose life? The divine life. What they're saying about the Christian life is true only because that truth is found first in God himself. When we come into contact with the life of God, with the communion of God, we are inserted, so to speak, into the very <clears throat> loving life, if you will, of the Holy Trinity. So that when we act as Christians, and we'll talk more about this, when we act as Christians, when we love as Christians, when we give ourselves to another as Christians, we do so because God does so. When we know the truth as Christians, we know because God knows. We're acting in as a reflection of who He is because we've been given a participation in who He is, a communion with who He is. The next sentence means that, or reads, that we can't separate. Uh, our glory to just the Father or to Christ the Son or to the Holy Spirit. The, the next sentence yeah. says that we, if, if we glorify one, we glorify all three. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's keep reading. 216. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy is the entry of God's creatures into the perfect unity of the Blessed Trinity. But even now we are called to be a dwelling for the Most Holy Trinity. If a man loves me, says the Lord, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. O oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, help me forget myself entirely, so to establish myself in you, unmovable and peaceful, as if my soul were already in eternity. May nothing be able to trouble my peace or make me leave you, O oh my unchanging God, but may each minute bring me more deeply into your mystery. Grant my soul peace. Make it your heaven, your beloved dwelling, and the place of your rest. May I never abandon you there, but may I be there, whole and entire, completely vigilant in my faith, entirely adoring, and wholly given over to your creative action. Okay. Go back up to the top of 260. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy. The, the, the Catechism just keeps repeating itself here in these paragraphs. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy. Whenever you see that, the ultimate end, the plan is, pay attention, because it is the, is the foundation of what we believe about the faith. This is what God wants for us. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy is the entry of God's creatures into the perfect unity of the blessed trinity. And when we talk about end, what are we talking about? The finishing of something? Fulfillment. The fulfillment, the perfection of it. This is what has God has planned from all eternity. Okay, that we enter into the life, the perfect unity of the Blessed Trinity. Okay? So, in the last few paragraphs, what have we seen?
God freely wills to communicate the glory of his blessed life. The whole Christian life is a communion with each of the divine persons. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy is the entry of God's creatures into the perfect unity of the blessed trinity. What are we talking about? There's a biblical word for this that they're not using here that we're going to see in a couple paragraphs, which brings us back to the book of Genesis. God, in the beginning, designed for us to enter into what with him? Into? Yeah, communion. We use that word. All right, we'll talk about that too. What else? Yeah, a covenant with him. I've talked with you guys before about this. And a covenant, what happens when a covenant is formed between two people? It can't be broken. What else? It's like a marriage. And when the scriptures talk about marriage, what do they say? The two become one. God has destined, has planned for us from all eternity to share his own blessed life with us in such a way that the two will become one. That is what the Catholic Church teaches. That is the mystery of our faith, the ultimate mystery of our faith. How can that possibly be that man will become so involved in the life of God that the two will become one thing? That's a mystery we can meditate on, and hopefully we'll meditate on for the rest of our lives and we'll realize in the heavenly kingdom of what God has planned for us. Because it is based upon God's love, and there is no end to God's love because it is who He is. That He, from all eternity, has given His life within Himself. And we will enter into that life, and forever, God will pour His divine life into us entering us in, as the Catechism says, into the life of the Blessed Trinity. So that when we give back to God, we give back to God as God gives back to God. When we receive the divine life from God, we will receive the divine life as God receives the divine life. We will stand as sons in the shoes of the Son and receive from all eternity the life of God into our souls. Okay? Any questions about that? No? Okay. Just to reinforce that one more time, turn your catechism back to paragraph one, sentence one. Paragraph one, sentence one. Go ahead, Melanie. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. There it is. That's it. The plan of God is to share his own blessed life with us. And now it is on our shoulders to figure out what that could possibly mean. And the whole catechism is about that. Okay, the catechism is designed to draw us in through Jesus Christ into the life of God himself. The whole catechism, everything about the Catholic faith is built upon that one belief. It's built upon who God is, that God is love from all eternity. Okay, turn over to paragraph 288. Go ahead, Jennifer. Thus the revelation of creation is inseparable from the revelation and forging of the covenant of the one God with the people. Creation is revealed as the first step toward this covenant, the first and universal witness to God's all-powerful love. Okay, read it again, but read it a little slower. Thus, 
The revelation of creation is inseparable from the revelation and forging of the covenant of the one God with his people. Creation is revealed as the first step toward this covenant, the first and universal witness to God's all-powerful love. Okay, as um, Cardinal Ratzinger said, I couldn't find the quote in the book, I know it's there, but he says, creation is about the covenant. The creation is creation in order for the covenant to take place. Creation is a place for the covenant to take place. Okay, which is the same thing we've been saying. The whole plan of God, the design of God in creating, is to bring his creation into a participation in his life. Into that covenant union with him. Okay? Paragraph 293. 293 and 294. The world was created for the glory of God. 293. I was just reading the title. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I'll slow down. I like titles. Scripture and tradition never cease to teach and celebrate this fundamental truth. The world was made for the glory of God. St. Bonaventure explains that God created all things, not to increase his glory, but to show it forth and to communicate it. For God has no other reason for creating than his love and goodness. Creatures came into existence when the key of love opened his hand. The First Vatican Council explains, This one true God of his own goodness and almighty power, not for increasing his own beatitude, nor for attaining his perfection, but in order to manifest his perfection through the benefits which he bestows on his creatures, with absolute freedom of counsel, and from the beginning of time, made out of nothing both orders, made out of nothing, both orders of creatures, spiritual and corporal. The glory of God consists in the realization of this manifestation and communication of his goodness for which the world was created. God made us to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. For the glory of God is man fully alive. Moreover, man's life is a vision of God. If God's revelation through the creation has already obtained life for all the beings that dwell on earth, how much more will the world Will the words manifestation of the Father obtain life for those who see God? The ultimate purpose of, the, of creation is that God, who is the creator of all things, may at last become all in all, thus simultaneously assuming his glory and our beatitude. Pantheism. Yes? There it is. The Catholics believed in pantheism. Cool. Yeah. For God, I'm just kidding, I'm being recorded. They can't see my, they can't see my smile. Okay. From the compendium. The compendium is really nice because it doesn't just take uh, paragraphs from the catechism, but it rewords and it brings it together, condenses it. You know, times sometimes when you condense what you're trying to say, it actually comes out better. So, here it is. For what purpose did God create man and woman? God has created everything for them, but he has created them to know serve and love God. Yes? Baltimore Catechism people. To offer... Here's why Here's why it is so important that we do catechism here. Because we always stopped at that. And we never understood what it was all about. It was true. But the foundation was weak. The foundation wasn't in scripture. The foundation wasn't in the church fathers. And so it didn't take much to go ding. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people left the Catholic Church. Okay. For God has created everything for them, but he has created them to know, serve, and love God. To offer all of creation in this world in thanksgiving back to him. And to be raised up to life with him in heaven. Why would he create us to know, love, and serve him? Well, how about this? Why would he create us to know and love him? Service is an in-between there. What's that? Yeah, but why? What's the foundation for our creation in order to know and love Him? Yeah? But what is true about God is not true about man. God knows Himself from all eternity and loves within Himself from all eternity. And now man is made in the image and likeness of a God who knows and loves from all eternity. Man is made to know and love God as God knows and loves himself. Because man is destined to enter into the life of God. 
Okay. Marjorie, lovely daughter's here. God has created everything for them, but he has created them to know, serve, and love God, to offer all of creation this world in thanksgiving back to him and to be raised up to life with him in heaven. What, who does that sound like? To offer all of creation this world in thanksgiving back to him. What's the Greek word for thanksgiving, Carrie? To offer the Eucharist back to him and to be raised up to life. Who is raised up to life? Jesus Christ, who offers the perfect Eucharist. Who is ra and raised up to life with him in heaven. So what does that mean? What has Jesus done for us? If this is true, if that's what man is made for from all eternity, then what has Jesus done for us? Are my questions that vague? Are they really? Not only has he provided a pathway. What's that? Yeah, not only has he showed us the way, though, Jesus has done something way more than just showed us the way. Because you know what? I could kind of show you the way somewhere, but what if you're too weak to get there? Not only has he given us, yeah, he has given us the grace. He does it for us. He does it. That he takes upon himself our human nature and does with our human nature what we were designed to do from the beginning. Jesus Christ is not Johnny come lately on the scene and God is just, whoop, I guess that's good enough. Whatever it is that Christ does, he does what we were supposed to do. And that is why human nature is healed. Because now a human being has done what he was designed to do from all eternity. And now it's our job to get into that action and to do with Christ whatever it is he's doing. And what is it that he's doing? It's right there in that paragraph. What is it that Christ is doing? To offer all of creation in this world in thanksgiving back to him and to be raised up to life with him in heaven. That is what Christ does with our humanity. And that's what Adam was designed to do in the beginning. Only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of the human person come into true life. Man and woman are pre predestined to reproduce the image of the Son of God made man, who is the perfect image of the invisible God. But what happened? Sin and the fall. Yeah, the fall. And sin entered the world. Why? Why did God let that happen? Free will. I mean, couldn't he have come up with a better plan? No. <laughs> Couldn't he have done it so that we didn't blow it? He could have. But then we wouldn't have chosen it. No, we wouldn't have chosen it. We wouldn't have wanted to be with him on our own. You don't have the freedom, so? if you don't have the freedom to choose the good. It's, it's no not love. Yeah. It's not what? It's not love. It's not what is it? When we don't choose, if he didn't give us evil, will then we would choose. Yeah. It's either what slavery or like the animals we've just by nature been stamped with it and we act and love is gone and when love is gone the image of God is gone upon earth okay um, paragraph 302 Melanie Creation has its own goodness and proper perfection, but it did not spring forth complete from the hands of the Creator. The universe was created in a state of journeying, in stopping the eye, toward an ultimate perfection yet to be attained, to which God has destined it. We call divine providence the dispositions by which God guides his creation towards this perfection. Okay. Now, where does man fit into that paragraph? How does man fit into that? <clears throat> 
God created a state of journey toward an ultimate perfection yet to be attained to which God is destined it. <clears throat> Where does man fit into that? Or the culmination of his creation. creation. Or what? The culmination of his creation. Okay. Man's response of faith. Man's response of faith. All right. What else? Where does man's Where does the story of man fit into that? God has created. What does it say? God created the creation. Created the world kind of in a baby form. Not quite there. Why? Why? <coughs> this is extremely important stuff. We gotta get a sense of why. <laughs> sort of describe, describes each person's life. Or each person's life is a journey to get to the to the end. Okay. And how do we get there? Two fifty nine says Wait. What's that? Two fifty nine says God's drawing us and the Holy Spirit is pushing us in grace. Okay, there's the aspect of God's grace. Okay, God's gift of himself, that God is doing it, but if God just does it, then why didn't he just do it? It wouldn't have been any he fun. He did it. It wouldn't have been any fun. <laughs> he already did it. <laughs> well, it's a nice thing, it's fun. It's not fun. What's that? He already did. It's not a journey to God. He gave us paradise in the beginning. We're not journeying to God. God is already in us and with us. Is that true? He's saying that in the beginning, God already made it perfect. Is that true? It's even more perfect. It's turning back to the verse. Alright, but even all right, I'll, I do it, so we don't have time. I'm gonna just answer that real quick and say that even in the beginning, God created in statu VA. Sorry, I didn't know my Latin. In a state of journey. A journey towards the covenant, towards a perfect union with God, and that is where man's free will fits in. Okay, in that situation. Didn't he want Adam to till the earth? I mean, we have a job to play in creation, right? Why? So you You're absolutely right. Why? What's that? To be like God. Yeah. God is the creator of the world. And so man has made his image and likeness. So man better somehow participate in the creation of the world. God loves us with a divine love and that love knows no bounds what you see in God look for in man because God's love knows no bounds and he shares his whole life with us it wasn't enough for God to create he wanted his creation to create okay look at paragraph 306 Melanie okay. or read it don't just look at it God is the sovereign master of his plan, but to carry it out, he also makes use of his creature's cooperation. This use is not a sign of weakness, but rather a token of almighty God's greatness and goodness. For God grants his create creatures not only their existence, but also the dignity of acting on their own, of being causes and principles for each other, and thus of cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. Catholics are Pelagian, aren't they? Aren't they? There it is. Is that true? What, are you leaving Melanie? She's going to have some wine. Okay. That's all right. All right. What does it mean to be a Pelagian? Who is Pelagius? What do you say, Carrie? You said that you could on your own achieve Whatever. Yeah, you could work out your salvation on your own. If you worked hard enough, you could get to heaven. You could do it. And the Catholic Church says, because Catholics accuse us all the time, don't they? You guys believe all that work salvation. You work out your own salvation. You forget about the work of Jesus. Jesus died once for all, friends. And you Catholics, you re-crucify him every time you go to Mass. <laughs> Not only that, you go out there and you talk about all this work stuff that you gotta, you gotta go to confession and you gotta do all these things. But Jesus did for us. Let it go. Are Catholics Pelagian? Are they? No. Why not? Somebody's going out all in there. <laughs> why? Well, based upon that paragraph, why? Oh, in this paragraph. And what we've been talking about. Just answer the question. Go. Because. 
the works that we do or the merit that we receive is based on God's grace and through God's grace. It's not on our own. Um, and Pelagius was saying, apart from God, you okay. can do this. That, that God, uh, Jesus was the first example. He shows how it's done, and then you go and do it on your own. Um, okay. Catholicism is something very different. Okay, now, why did God design it that way? <laughs> that it should happen through God the Son? Not only through God the Son, but that we would walk alongside God. That in creation, made in an infancy stage, man would be inserted into that scene with a free will. As the Catechism says, uh, For God grants his creatures not only their existence, but also the dignity of acting on their own, of being causes and principles for each other. And thus of cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. What's his plan? We've read a hundred times. What's his plan, Jennifer? That he may share his own blessed life with us. Is that correct? That he may share his own blessed life with us. And look what it just says. Cooperating in the accomplishment of his plan. That somehow man is to cooperate and, uh, go back to uh, uh, the phrase and being causes and principles for each other that man will be a principle and a cause of God sharing his own blessed life with man why did he do that why did he put us in such a key location a key spot in his whole system why with his image and likeness, we have to act like he does. And if he created, he, puts a, he gives us the power to continue to create. Okay. If God within himself has been loving from all eternity, of giving himself from all eternity, sharing his own blessed life from all eternity, and man is made in his image and likeness, then man is designed by nature to do what God has done for man. To share his own life with creation. That man has been put in such a place in the plan of salvation that he's, in a sense, the bridge from God to the rest of creation. And that it is by his hand that the gift of love in God is shown forth on earth. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, is this like way too basic? Yes. To me, I'm reading. I, I, I prepare these classes. I'm like, whoa, far out. You know? So I don't know. Maybe I'm just really stupid. But, um. Paragraph three ten just asked us what you did. Okay, go ahead. Read it. Well, what if I stole it from him? So go ahead. But why did God not create a world so perfect yes. that no evil could exist in it? Okay, and then it, yes, and it goes and, and talks. And it tells us. Yeah, and it talks about evil. And it says, yeah, what? Because because of God's love. He gave us both. He gave us, what's that? He gave us both, good oh. and evil. No, no, no. <laughs> he made a world where there was a possibility because of man's free will to choose something to love something other than God. But he made it that way so that we could love God. He designed us with a free will that we may freely will him, that we may freely love him. But in that free will, there's a possibility then for man to choose apart from God. Okay? Our free will is designed for the good. It's designed to love God. Okay? Questions, thoughts? Well, can I just say something? Mm -hmm. Yes, Melanie, you to, can say something. To what, I don't know the latest name of that. Carol. Carol. What Carol was saying. Um, okay, if God created us, created us with free will and with the potential mm -hmm. to choose evil, mm -hmm. um, wouldn't, and at the end of paragraph 310, when it talks about with physical good, there's a 
also exists physical evil as long yeah. as creation has not reached perfection. So if God created us in this state where it wasn't perfection, but we were on a state of journey, couldn't you say then that God is the author of evil? Yeah, and you you have to keep reading in that. And to be honest with you, I have a note with a question mark which says misleading. Okay, it's, and it's misleading because the language they're using is technical theological language. And for your average Catholic reading this, that is exactly what it, and that's why I put a question mark. I was reading it going, whoa, this is bad news. Like, this is not well, well stated. Which you can say, by the way, about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's not an infallible document, and, there's, and it's also a translation. Okay, so there may be phrasing that you go, that doesn't ring true to me. It doesn't seem to be right. Follow your Catholic inclination on that and seek out the right answer. Maybe it is right and you misunderstand. Okay? But sometimes there's phrases in there which are poorly worded. Or there's phrases in there that are based in theological answers that were given in the scholastic period and have been translated into English and we just don't have the concepts to deal with them. And that's one of them on evil. Okay? And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So we'll come back to that. Um, paragraph 308. Three to eight. Gloria, you want to read that for us? The belief that God is at work in all the actions of his creatures is inseparable from faith in God the Creator. God is the first cause who operates in and through secondary causes. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Far from diminishing the creature's dignity, <coughs> this truth enhances enhances it. Drawn from nothingness by God's power, wisdom, and goodness, it can do nothing if it is cut off from its origin, for without a creator the creature vanishes. Still less can a creature attain its ultimate end without the help of God's grace. Okay, there's our answer. Catholics are not playing here. Thank you. Paragraph 375. I know we're skipping a whole bunch there, but we've got to hit some key points. Paragraph 375. The church, interpreting the symbolism of biblical language in an authentic way, in the light of the New Testament and tradition, teaches that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were constituted in an original state of holiness and justice. This grace of original holiness was to share in the divine life. Okay. There it is. Okay? <coughs> Memorize that. Get it stuck in your head. That's God's plan. That was his original design. Okay? They were made, in, constituted in original state of holiness and justice. This grace of the original holiness was to share in the divine life. The original grace which Adam was given, that gift which Adam was given, okay, was a participation or share in the divine life of God himself. That was his plan from the beginning. Okay? Turn to paragraph 404. I'm going to read you from the compendium, and then we'll read a section of that. Um, original sin, in which all human beings are born, is the state of deprivation of original holiness and justice. Now, you see how that just pairs the same, same sentence. It's saying, man was created in original justice and original holiness, okay? Everything was rightly ordered within him, justice. Each, give, each part of him giving to the other what was due to it. His will obeyed his intellect, in other words. Okay? And in original holiness, that he was given a participation in the divine life. Original sin in which all human beings are born is the state of deprivation of original holiness and justice. It is a sin contracted by us, not committed. It is a state of birth and not a personal act. Because of the original unity of all human beings, it is transmitted to the descendants of Adam, not by imitation, but by propagation. This transmission remains a mystery which we cannot fully understand. 
Okay? The, um, your catechism says the same thing in 404. Where is it? How did the sin of Adam become the sin of all his descendants? The whole human race is in Adam as one body of one man. But this unity of the human race, by this, by this unity of the human race, all men are implicated in Adam's sin, as all are implicated in Christ's justice. Still, the transmission of original sin is a mystery that we cannot fully understand. But we do know by revelation that Adam had received original holiness and justice, not for himself alone, but for all human nature. By yielding to the tempter, Adam and Eve committed a personal sin, but this sin affected the human nature, affected the human nature that they would then transmit in a fallen state. It is a sin which will be transmitted by propagation to all mankind, that is, by the transmission of a human nature deprived of original holiness and justice. I'm getting that word deprived, okay? Pay attention to that. And that is why original sin is called sin, only in an analog analogical sense. It is a sin contracted and not committed. A state and not an act. Okay? What does it, need, what does it mean that it's a deprivation or what is the other word? Same word, but different form. Yeah, it's a lack of. What does it mean it's a lack of? What is it a lack of? More. Justice. Justice. A lack of, why do you say the lack of God? Without his grace. Yeah. Without him. It is a life which lacks something which was originally given to it. And what was it lacking that was originally given to it? A participation in the divine life. The grace of God. When we talk about the grace of God in the sacraments, Translated, It is the gift of God, which is the plan of God, which is the gift of his own life. A sharing in his own life. When Adam and Eve fell, they lost the gift of grace by which they were identified with God. By which they were partakers of the divine nature. By which God shared his own blessed life with them. Okay? Um, next paragraph. Carrie. Paragraph 405. Although it is proper to each individual, original sin does not have the character of a personal fault in any of Adam's descendants. It is a deprivation of original holiness and justice, but human nature has not been totally corrupted. It is wounded in the natural powers proper to it, subject to ignorance, suffering, and the dominion of death, and inclined to sin, an inclination to evil that is called con concupiscence. Baptism, by imparting the life of Christ's grace, erases original sin and turns a man back toward God. But the consequences for nature, weakened and inclined to evil, persist in man and summon him to spiritual battle. Okay, there's a classic example where you want to get a pen and cross a word out. Erases original sin. Why is that a bad, based everything else in Catechism is saying, why is that a bad translation, a bad word to use? original sin is something to be erased. What's that? It's not something to be erased. What is it? It's it's a lack of something, so it's something to be restored. Good. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Okay? <laughs> it is something to be restored, something that was lost, something which Jesus Christ came to give us back. Okay? Concubiscence then is what? Talks about concupiscence there. Not a lack of the divine life. Okay, that's a, a lack of original holiness or a lack of the grace of God within our souls. But what else is the problem with us? Tendency to sin. We want to remain that way. Okay, there's, a, that there's also was original justice within us. That all of the parts within us, all our will and our intellect work together in perfect harmony. But now those things have been, in a sense, wounded. Like the guy in Vietnam from Vietnam, his leg might be healed by the doctor, but he still might limp in some ways. And that's what the church is saying. We still limp along in our journey. We're, we're still wounded, in a sense, though grace has been given back to us. Okay? And so we still have a disordered inclination or a disordered desire to do things which may not be good for us. 
Now, the Catholic Church teaches that concupiscence is not sin. Why not? It's a propensity to do it. It is not the act. Okay? I have propensities to sin all the time. And in fact, who understood that? What man in history understood that fact? What's that? No? No? Martin Luther. Because Martin Luther confused concupiscence and sin. And he saw in concupiscence, a disordered desire, actual sin. And what did he say? In every act, I sin. Because in every act, I feel something, a disordered desire to do what I shouldn't do. When I... When walking down the street, I'm in my own person. When I'm walking down the street and there's a poster in a, in a thing of a woman inappropriately dressed. Sorry, ladies, but guys, you'll be with me on this, right? We're like, you know, struggling. No, you turn away. And that is the battleground of holiness. That is the battleground of virtue in our lives. That man does turn away. Did that, that inclination? is there. That disordered desire is there. Concupiscence is there. And yet, by the grace of God, we can turn from it. Okay? A distinction between concupiscence and sin is, is very important. And what again do you do with Jesus and him saying that, you know, that whole looking at a woman lustfully is sin? Yeah. Then when you look at a woman lustfully, it is sin. You've already committed to sin. Why? Because Jesus is talking about looking at that picture and going, yeah, and taking a gaze and enjoying it. And that is the act where I choose the wrong. I freely choose to do what I'm not supposed to do. Okay? But the man who turns from that is not the man who looked at the woman and allowed lust to enter his heart. I think we all know that moment where we let ourselves go to it, and that's the exact point where we say, I gotta go to confession. Okay? Alright. Um, let me just see, I know, well, um, let's just call it good and I'll tell you why, because I just got to the point in my notes where we we're supposed to start today. <laughs> My notes from last time. So, okay. You're like God when you're cheating. Okay, any announcements I have to make? I don't think so. If you guys want to come look at these things, feel free. And we never got to this, but we're going to because we're going to talk about Mary, and I promise we're going to get to our next class. So take this home. Read this on your way to on when you're going to bed. It'll just warm the cockles of your heart. <laughs> it's a chick track. It's a chick track. Trust, this is not what we believe. This is not true. This is a classic misunderstanding of what the Catholic Church believes and teaches. But we're using it as an example of why this kind of error is based on a misunderstanding of who God is. Okay. This man does not understand who God is. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to understand. It doesn't mean he's not a good man. That's for God to choose. But he doesn't understand what we've been talking about, about God's love. Okay? So bring that out next time. I'll make some more coffees for you, too. This Saturday morning, Brendan McGuire. Okay? Bring your friends. Oh, what should you read up to? Um, read the section. I told you this last time. Read the section on Jesus Christ. So that's paragraph 430. 430 through 667. You told me to read that last time. I did. I know. That's why. And we'll get to our comments. I read it again. Read 430 to what? 667. 637? 436, 667. I won't cover everything. You know, when you talk to your Sophilius, there's a song Glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. John the Beloved, right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Right here.